My guest today is a top doctor and a double board certified plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. He specializes in aesthetic, cosmetic, and reconstructive surgery. He has been in practice for over 16 years and he is an incredible plastic surgeon. He specializes in breast reconstruction, and I am not only a big fan, but I am a patient, and he is amazing. Welcome, Dr. Brenner. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. This is uh, Finally, different. Finally, we did it. Yes. <laughs> How does it feel to be on the other side it's, of the chair? It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a very different experience. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the hot button topic that is going on right now, which is BII, which means breast implant um, illness. And um, this is something that you see all over social media now. I am so surprised on every day, it's tons and tons of women coming out. Yeah. And I'm not only speaking from somebody who's looking at it, but I also suffered from breast implant illness. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, first of all, you're 100% right. This has been social media driven from the beginning. That's why you're seeing it all over social media. Um, this has been a patient driven phenomenon, which has really forced us as physicians and surgeons to A, take notice and B, kind of take review of what, what our normal standard practices have been for so many years. So, um, and what breast implant illness is, is a constellation of symptoms which are attributed to having breast implants in. And uh, the reason why uh, breast implant illness has been such a hot topic, uh, burning con hot controversial, topic. Yes. certainly controversial yes. in my world, you know, among plastic surgeons, controversial among, you know, FDA controversial among all the all the uh, medical societies, the plastic surgery societies, and the implant manufacturing companies, right? Um, because there really is no way to test for it. So, so it really comes down to listening to the patients and sort of putting together a picture of chronologically what happened, and then specifically like what the patients are dealing with and what they're suffering from. And then ruling out other disease processes that can have similar symptoms because, I mean, you know, if I'm being perfectly honest, it doesn't make sense. The, the BII symptomatology doesn't really make sense. Right. Until you kind of step back and look at it and say, well, maybe these patients are just having some sort of immune mediated reaction to having a implant in their body. And when you, when you look at that and sort of take, instead of dissecting each one of, you can, you can see that, that, that it, there's actually maybe something to it, um, which a lot of people don't necessarily believe. Well, yeah, there's four pages of symptoms. So look, of course, you logically you go, oh, well, of course you're gonna have something. But speaking from experience, I spent three years in and out of the hospital with acute pancreatitis and feeling like I was being poisoned. And my, my uh, pancreatic specialist, when they couldn't figure out, they sent me to the top guy at Cedars that everybody sends when they can't figure it out. He couldn't figure it out. And I could just get, kept uh, being told that I had an autoimmune disease. And right. so I started doing my own research and 
really removing my implants or doing the end block that you did for me that um, was, I found this is my last hope. And I literally was at home getting IVs twice a week. I was so, so sick. And yeah, well, when I- I mean, pancreatitis is a real thing. Yeah. Pancreatitis happens. I mean, before I was a plastic surgeon, I was a general surgeon. I took care of patients with pancreatitis all day, every day. I mean, that's what that's kind of in the wheelhouse of general surgeons. And, um, you know, people get pancreatitis. People without breast implants get pancreatitis. So to take the leap and say, well, maybe this is because is being caused by a breast implant like it doesn't make intuitive sense to anyone including me like why would a breast implant cause pancreatitis there there really is no there's no r rational reason for it and there's also is really no way to test for it which is why i think people are so skeptical about believing that it might actually be a i'm thing. A skeptical yeah. but i have a surprise for you my blood work you repeated it. Yes, I did. I uh, told Danny I hadn't because I wanted to surprise you. Oh. <laughs> well, no one told me. So I am, she didn't know either. I wanted to surprise you. Eight Look weeks. Look at that. Wait, I'm, where's yeah. the date on this? So this that was, was from, three days oh, ago. Three days ago. Yeah. Fantastic. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. So So your light base is totally normal. Normal. That hasn't been normal in so, three and years. We, and we actually postponed your surgery because, because my light pace was you, elevated. Well, your your light pace had been elevated, and your and your gastroenterologist had been kind of tracking it, right? And then, right before we were going to do your surgery, it spiked. Yeah. For no apparent reason. My my. And so we we he put you back on your medication, right? Yes. And we waited what two months or so for it to kind of everything to kind of calm down. And it's still, when I had the surgery, it's still elevated. My, I haven't had a normal light pace in three years. I get my, I'm eight, eight weeks, eight weeks out. This is the first time I've had. Well, my, congratulations. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps, Dr. Brenner. You did that. You really listened. Well, your body did it. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> your you, body you're an, you are helping women. And, you know, and I got to say, it's, uh, you know, being a patient, you kind of bring this up to doctors and they kind of roll their eyes a little bit. Because it doesn't make sense. I know, it doesn't but make any sense. I feel like a different human being. I mean, I'm sure that you and your staff can see the difference that I that I feel from when I first went in there. I couldn't even get up, up from the couch to walk my dogs. So in, in eight weeks, you know, I'm like speed walking four miles. I'm not running yet because it's been eight weeks out. So, Dr. Brenner, do you see a difference in patients when you do the the explant, remove the implant, and also do you recommend that you m remove the capsule? I, I do, and I think I think we sort of touch on it. I, the The data is not quite there yet, but when patients come in with with symptoms of breast implant illness, and I really think that they have breast implant illness, right? The, the implants and the capsules need to come out. Almost universally, patients feel better. Almost universally. I mean, I think I've, I can think of one patient in the last three years who did not have any change in her symptoms after surgery. And, but I really also don't think she had BII. She also thought she had ALCL and other things. And I think she was just kind of freaked out because of all the media hype. Um, but it, it's, 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 a, it's remarkable actually that 
you know, even the day after surgery, because I see all my patients back the next morning. I felt high, like euphoric the day after. That was probably the drugs talking. No, no, no. I'm t you should see my, be I'm going to post on, on uh, I'm going to do an insert of my before and after, the day before surgery and the day, the day after, one day after. My chest, my face is rosy and yeah, I was gray before. It, it is interesting and and i've and i've talked to other surgeons across the country who are starting to take before and after photos not of the breasts but of patient's eyes and and notice a huge change even 24 hours which really doesn't make any sense you're like well maybe it's just swelling and the anesthesia it makes it, it's sense kind to of me. it really is kind of crazy yeah it really is kind of crazy that people feel so much better and you know what if it's if it's taking the capsules and implants out that makes them feel better, great. If it's a placebo effect, okay, they still feel better. I mean, they all feel better, and um, I think it, you know, if if you can do it safely, I mean, a lot of people just don't want their implants anymore anyway, and so if I can do it safely and still make their breasts look good, I mean, that's what I do anyway. So you do recommend taking out the capsule also? I'm yeah. glad I did everything because that way, for me. There will be no doubt in my mind as if I would have left left the capsule, I think, and then I didn't feel as good. I would have been like, oh, my God, I should have taken the, you know. So I think for peace of mind also, it, as a well, patient, from a patient's also, point of view. It also is, is technically easier for the surgeon to do it at the time that you're removing the implants because you can kind of follow the path of the implant as opposed to, you know, searching for a needle in a haystack a year later. It makes it, it's possible to do it. It's just it's just a little bit trickier. I want to talk to you too about what we did. We did an end block, right? right? So can you explain what that is? Sure. So when it comes to breast implant removal, mm -hmm. right, you can go in and just take out the implant, or you can go in and take out the capsule that surrounds it. And so, the capsule is so the capsule is a specialized scar tissue. Any any implant that people have in their bodies is a foreign body, whether it's a breast implant, a chin implant, a pacemaker, an artificial knee, your body recognizes it as a foreign entity and very specifically walls it off because it's a foreign body. Kind of to protect your, your body. From to protect you from, from the implant, right. no matter what the implant is. So, you know, pe people who have pacemakers in their chest you know, you might be able to feel it. It's superficial. It's they're ma they're made out of metal, so it's 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 very different than a, than a silicone breast implant. But but it, it also has a capsule around it, right. and the capsule is the same kind of metaplastic, specialized type of scar tissue that that surrounds it. Now, normally, that tissue kind of lives in harmony with the implant, um, and it's usually very thin and pliable. And I, I often describe it to patients as like is oftentimes as thin as the fibrous membrane on a on an egg oh, like wow. when you take you know you do a take a hard boil an egg and you peel off the shell and there's oh, and a fibrous little, right. sometimes it's that thin like so thin that you can like read a newspaper through it sometimes however you can have patients who uh, develop an entity called capsular contracture which we know in our in our publications in our literature has a a infectious origin doesn't mean that the implant was necessarily infective, but right. somehow at some point in time between the implant being put in and the 
at the time that they develop a capsular contracture, some sort of some type of bacteria makes its way into that space. There's a kind of a space in between the implant and the capsule. And the capsule. Right? So, so it, it also doesn't make a lot of sense because you would think, well, if there's bacteria there, why isn't there like pus? Why isn't it become infected and red and hot and work its way out of your body? Right. That would be a normal thing, but it doesn't. It, but there are some bacteria that create what's called a slime layer and it can attach. And once you have a foreign body that has that, you, know, you can't you can't get rid of those bacteria until the form body is removed. So when patients who have capsular contracture, you, it's the same process. You go in, you take out the capsule, you take out the implant, wash it out, and, and you're done. So um, and the th- and so I think sort of the thought behind that with breast implant illness was that if if the implant, for whatever reason, is making people sick, that perhaps the capsule is right. I, the Truthfully, there's no data that shows, even today as we speak, there's no study that shows that taking out the capsule, it, you know, taking out the implant with or without a capsule actually has any any effect, positive or negative, on, on patient symptoms. Right. Just because it hasn't been studied. Not because it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. It just hasn't been studied. So, um, and again, this goes back to this being a kind of a patient-driven phenomenon, somewhere along the line, some patient latched onto the term M-block, which is a term that we use in um, cancer surgery uh, for soft tissue tumors, and where you go in and you remove the cancer with a, with a layer of normal tissue, non-cancerous tissue around it, so that you take it all in one piece so that you're not spilling cancer cells whether it's spreading right right so whether whether it's a breast cancer or some sort of like soft tissue sarcoma whatever it is you want to take it out in one piece so that's where the term m block uh comes from it's a little bit of a misuse to use it in this sense because you know the capsule is not a cancer um cancer cells you can't necessarily see right you can feel a big tumor but sometimes there's other microscopic cells that you can't see right capsule you can see with your eyes um and so you can i you know as a breast surgeon because i do been doing breast surgery for a long time you can go in you can very clearly see where the capsule is sometimes it's a thin capsule and it tears just like when you're peeling an egg. Right. And sometimes it's a really thick capsule and, and it, it gets hard and it just comes out very much more easily. Um, so so that so that's where the term M block comes from. I, I shy away from using that simply because I think it's a misuse of the term. So it's the same as So what you know, the term I use is a total capsule like the okay. capsulectomy, which means that I'm taking the entire capsule out. Which is what you Which would is really recommend, what right? Want I mean, anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, some some people, whether they're physicians or non-physicians, think that in that space that we talked about, that right. there's some sort of toxin that's being emitted from the implant, and and maybe there is, and maybe there's not. I mean, there's there are a lot of chemicals that make up the shell of a of a silicone implant, even if it's even if it's an intact implant. Um, sometimes. With a silicone implant, you can have a non-ruptured silicone implant, and there's an entity we call gel bleed, where the silicone actually works its way through the shell, even though it's not oh, wow, that's ruptured, crazy. and you have the little slimy, you can have a little bit of a slimy layer around the implant, which tells me that there, it's porous to some degree, right? Um, so, you know, obviously if you have a ruptured silicone implant, 
taking the capsule out in one piece without any holes or anything is a huge advantage because the silicone's not spilling all over the place when you're when you're doing it. So technically, as a, as a breast surgeon, it technically makes it an easier removal, right? Well, also when you do, let's say, um, remove the capsule and the implant, you also recommend some women might need if, um, a lift and, and reconstruct well, it. Man, many of them. Yeah, right? I, I like to call it aesthetic reconstruction. Let me tell you, I got a lift and they look spectacular. <laughs> I re it reminded me of the Seinfeld episode, remember with Terry Hatcher? And yes. uh, they Elaine. Wanted Elaine, yes. they were like, and she was they're like, real they're real and, and they're spectacular. I can say <laughs> that now. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about your procedure? Because I know that your lift is a little bit different than like the majority of doctors do. The way I prefer to do it, it's, right. like, it's not always possible to do it the way I like to do it. It's, it's, it's you know, it's just the superior base technique that um, keeps the maintains the tissue in the in the upper portion of the breast as and I, I started doing that first initially with breast reductions where you're removing tissue and i always like to remove the kind of the heavy hanging lower tissue and keep the upper tissue so that it's perky and, and what happens is it, it allows me to contour the breast um, along the lower pole which gives a better shape to the breast and long term more rounded like right a little bit more rounded yeah i mean the my biggest criticism of seeing that there's a technique called an inferior pedicle which is kind of like the workhorse pedicle what a pedicle is is where the blood goes to and from the nipple because we want to keep the nipple alive when you're doing a reduction or a lift so the inferior pedicle maintains the blood flow from from the south and but but that tissue in order to keep the blood flow, you have to keep the tissue that the arteries and the veins run in, right? So that tissue is in the way, I think, for me. Right. It gets in the way. So what happens is, you know, the breast tends to be a little bit square, a little bit boxier, and tends to uh, fall, fall, fall south over time. Right. And so I just think I get a, a, a nicer shape to the breast using uh, the technique that I use. Uh, I'm not the only one that does it that way, but I've gotten really good at it. Uh, and, and, and I took that and, and, and kind of waylaid it from the breast reduction patients to, over to the breast lift patients, and then from the breast lift patients to the explant patients with the lift. Um, it just gives me a little bit more flexibility in terms of, in terms of what I need to do. And yes, you're absolutely right. I, I do a lot of breast lifts because, you know, my thought is, you know, women come to me and other plastic surgeons to have breast implants put in because they want an attractive breast. So It's true. So I, I want to do everything that I can to leave them with an attractive breast when we take it when you take the implants out, take the capsules out. It's not always possible. I mean there's you know for a lot of reasons everyone's different, everyone's tissues are different. I mean some you know people are at an advantage if they have a lot of breast tissue. They're at a disadvantage if they have very little. I see not only does the, the skin get stretched out, the breast tissue gets stretched out. Um, I recently had a patient who had the most profound chest wall remodeling I've ever seen, and that's simply from having an implant sitting in between your, your chest muscle and the rib cage. Years that sounds and, painful. Years and years and years of just you know exercising, doing push-up, whatever you do in your everyday life, and having that push and push and push. And you know the the chest wall is a living breathing thing. Rib is a living breathing thing, and so it will respond to pressure. 
um, whether the rib, whether it's cartilage or, or, or the bony portion, it will respond to pressure and, and leave a little bit of a scalloping or an imprint on the chest wall. So if you take someone who was, um, let's say, a cup or smaller, very flat when they first initially when they had, first got it and had very little breast tissue, and then you put an implant in, and you know maybe it looks great with the implant in, but you leave it there for ten years and you take it out, you're not going back to the starting point. You're actually going, you know, it's actually worse than where you were before you had it put in because you're you you have just by just by having had that implant sit there for 10 15 years whatever it is it, it has actually increased the space it's actually pushed your chest wall back and so whereas you may have been neutral and flat to begin with some sometimes you can end up being indented even with no change in your actual breast tissue but the beauty of that because you know yes women are you know for me like bii when i first read about it and then when i was going to have my ex my you know remove my implants i thought about like how it was going to affect me mentally to see my body different you know to see like are my breasts going to be deformed am i going to be flat chested but then you have something else that you do that is you know really cool which is fat grafting yes so even if you remove your implant right um and you're not as full after you get a lift, you, there, you can, you can do little, fat you can, grafting. You can't, you can't get more volume. Again, very patient dependent because you have to have right. some fat. I mean, I have, you know, usually the, the issue is the people that need it the most have the least amount of fat, right? Because if, they, if they're skinny and have no breast tissue and their, their torsos like this, then oftentimes they don't have fat in the rest of the body. But that's not true across the board at all. And I have some patients who just, you know, want more breast tissue and if if i can kind of rob from peter to pay paul i i think why not it's a great it's a great procedure i've been doing fat grafting to the face for facial rejuvenation right and to the breast in kind of in conjunction with breast reconstruction for years and you know some years ago plastic surgeons started doing it as an aesthetic operation right so some pay, some surgeons even do it as which I, which I now do a lot of as a result of all this uh, for primary augmentation. So instead of an implant doing fat grafting. That right, is amazing. Which, I mean, which is great. I mean, you don't, you don't get as much volume as you would with an implant, but some people don't want that much volume. Some people don't need that much volume. Right. Right. So it's, it's a great procedure, uh, when it, when it works. And even if I can get a little bit more volume or oftentimes maybe some patients don't even need more volume, but but maybe there's some asymmetries that exist after we do a breast lift. It, it's really useful to help correct those asymmetries. Yeah, if we could, if if I can do it, great. Right. Well, the beautiful not? thing about fat grafting too is not just for the breast, but you can. I mean, they're using it as filler now. You put it in your lips. You put it in your cheeks. Right. Okay. You All can, the time. Yeah. It, and it lasts longer. Yeah. Oh, it does. Nice. You don't so have to keep coming in every six months to have your wrestling and juvenile. Well, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so how, let's say when you do the fat grafting, can you explain what that procedure is like? To, when you do the fat grafting, you remove it. How much of, let's say, the fat actually stays with you? Because I understand that sometimes it's not 100%. There's a percentage of the fat. That's that absolutely true. It, you know, 
I, I, I don't think I've ever had a patient who had a hundred percent retention of the fat. It just, right. it just doesn't exist, exist. Um, the, a couple factors. Number one is, is how the fat is harvested, how it's retrieved from the patient in terms of the technique, how it's processed in the operating room. Uh, and, and there's, you know, so many different publications of different surgeons with different techniques and like how they like to do it. Um, and, and then it's how it's injected. Um, you know, you, you can, um, inject one CC at a time, or you can inject 50 CCs at a time. You know, if you just slam it, slam it into the breast tissue, it's not going to do very well. Uh, I mean, you, ha you really have to finesse it. Um, and then also the, probably the more important is what we call the recipient bed, right? Right. What, the, what is recipient bed? That means where you're putting the fat. Okay. So you can't, so what, whereas with a breast implant, you can make a pocket and just put it in cause it's an inanimate object. It doesn't, doesn't require blood supply to, to heal and live there. It just, your body just kind of encapsulates it. Fat grafting, like you don't take out the implant and just replace it with fat in the same space. That is a recipe for disaster. It's not going to work. The fat that you take out, your, let's say you take it from your thighs or your abdomen or your waist, that fat before you've removed it was is a living, breathing thing, right? It's getting blood. It has blood flow going to it. It has blood flow coming from it, bringing, bringing to it nutrients and keeping it alive, right? So you have to keep it alive so you'd want to transfer After it. you transfer it, it needs to stay alive. So your body, the way it stays is your body grows new blood vessels into the fat. So, so I, I always like to use the analogy of like an apartment complex. If you have a, a you know, a hundred uh, apartment complex that comfortably sleeps a hundred people, but you shove 500 into that apartment complex, you're going to have problems. People are going to start, you know, jumping ship left and right and not everyone's going to make it through. So, um, so that's why I, I do feel like there's a little, there's a little bit of, of a limitation to how much you can do at one time. Right. Um, so, you know, and, well, and, yeah. I, and I'm pretty conservative with it. I think once you get to a certain volume, if you go over that, then you're, you're just kind of wasting the fat and, and actually hurting, hurting yourself and hurting the chances of the fat to survive. So let's say with like a, when you're transferring, like if you have, let's say, uh, remove your implants and you get, or just get a breast lift. Do you recommend doing a fat transfer within that same procedure? Or do you recommend, like, let's say if you get an, uh, your implants removed and you get a lift, would you do the fat transfer at the same time? Or would you do that later? That very much depends on the patient. Okay. Um, and again, have to listen to the patient in terms of what they want. A, B, it also depends on what your what canvas you're you're working with. If you have a, a young patient with a perky breast who doesn't need to have a breast lift, they just want a little bit more volume and they have some breast tissue to graft into, then then I can do the explant and then graft them immediately and get a reasonable take. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to go back and do a second round. Um, but if you have someone who had, let's say, had their breast implants put in 20 years ago, and then they went and had a couple kids, and then they breastfed those kids, and now their breasts are kind of hanging off of their implant, and they need a lift anyway, and then they develop BAI, and they want their implants out, or, which I, I have a lot of patients who don't have BAI at all, but have that same scenario, 
They had implants put in in their 20s. They went and got married, had kids. After having kids, their breasts just kind of got two sizes well, yeah, bigger than it was before, and they stayed bigger. And suddenly, you know, they went from being happy with their CD cup to having like a G cup breast that they never really wanted. And so they'll come and have the implants removed and then kind of do like a lift breast reduction at the same time. Wow. Um, so, so we, I have that, you know, that group of women as well that come in. I love having the alternative, but I'm not here to try to convince anybody either. Cause every woman is different. You know, some, some women may experience it, some not, but it's nice to have options where before you really didn't have options. If you wanted your breast to be either bigger or fuller, you know, you had to go with an implant. It's kind of right. nice to know now that you can use your own body fat and actually, you it, know, it in many different areas. It is areas. nice and it's, it'll I'd be really interested to see kind of what happens with the BII population. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's going down anytime soon because no, it's actually I mean, going up i read you know, the study about 300 plus thousand implants are put in every year in the united just in the united states yes yeah. and and i just read this it said a breast augmentation is the number one cosmetic surgical procedure in the u.s since 2006 and it said it dropped 14.9 percent from 2018 to 2019 nice. and according to the aesthetic society Explant surgeries, on the other hand, Roughly have increased 14% or something. 34.4%. The, the, this is the first year that I've ever seen a drop in uh, breast augmentation numbers across, across the board. Not, not my practice. I'm talking about across the country. I mean, right. yes, in my practice, but across the country. I mean, you know, in, in 2020, I took out way more implants than I put in for and sure. And it's shifting by, now. By, huge yeah do you think um are you are, are you recording any of the women like are you is there anything that doctors are doing to kind of like maybe have some kind of report of like how women feel you know after they yeah. have their um i'm glad you brought that up because first of all you know i i feel like any any surgeon who has sort of embraced bii is sort of uh, sailing into the wind there's there's a lot of noise out there and there's a lot of animosity from other surgeons i'm sure there's a lot of pushback a lot yes it, well i mean you have to you have to think about it from other people's perspective if you have a, a business where y your business model is to put in as many implants as frequently as possible and that's primarily what you do i mean you know, surgeons, plastic surgeons do a lot of different things. My practice is certainly diverse. Um, I, I, I've never had a practice that was built on breast implants, but right. some surgeons do. So if, if that's your model and suddenly you have a 15, 20% decrease in your business or perhaps even more, or perhaps you have legislation that makes it more difficult that that's a huge that's a huge ding on the bottom line so it's understandable why people are um, resistant to even hearing about it um and, and you know if 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 i'm playing devil's advocate there's really you know as as a physician we really kind of base a lot of what we do on data right but there and is no data there is no data so there's some data. There's one study that came out that was 
helpful. There are more studies. I will tell you that in our spring meeting with our society, that uh, it was a virtual meeting this year, so it was easy to go to. Yeah. <laughs> The, it, it was the first time I sort of saw a tide shift um, where there was more than a handful of sur surgeons who were at least open to hearing about it. The uh, Research Foundation of our society is actually doing a huge study on BII. Well, that's good to hear. And and kind of on the heels of that, I, I, I um, was given a, a, sh a sheet of, um, kind of a screening questionnaire that I've now started, I've sort of adopted it and amended it and have been using for my patients. So I, cause I want to know like, you know, zero to 10, what, what, what were your, what symptoms did you have and how bad were they before surgery? What right. are they at a week? What are they at a month? What are they at three months? I think I had you fill that out, didn't yes, I? Yes, yeah. I did. And, um, you know, what are they at six months a year? Is, is this nonsense or is it real? The, you know, a lot of this is just subjective, right? It's just well, it's 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 I, how it's how you feel. Like I can't I can't get into your brain and say, oh my god, you know this pain that I had in my arm for the last five years, which has been a ten, and suddenly it's not there. Like I I don't know. I can't gauge that. I know, but look at my blood work. <laughs> you know, the, right. I mean that to me. If there was any doubt in my mind. That to me solidified. I couldn't wait to tell you. I mean, Danny asked me, she asked me, she's like, have you gotten your blood work? And there was like a silent pause for a second because I was dying to tell her, yes. You know, but I, I didn't want to say anything because I just, I wanted to save it, you know, for the show. Like everything, everything now is save it for the show. Don't talk to me, save it for the show. But um, I'm not talking to you. No. Save it for the show. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. Um, but that's awesome. And how did, do you see a difference in and your did, patients? Did you talk to your, guys, your GI guy? I did, but uh, Dr. Brenner, this is why it's so important to have you on the show. Because I find that doctors kind of do the rolling of the eyes. And I also feel in the medical community that women sometimes are not listened as much to as much as men. Like, I think men are taken more seriously. Um, like, I'm not talking about plastic surgery. You may be like, right. You may be right about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, there's I, this whole. What I, what I would say to that is, I, I when I first started seeing BII patients, I mean, I think I'm pretty good about listening to patients in general, but specifically the BII patients. When I first started seeing these patients, I I didn't necessarily believe it. I didn't believe it either. And um, I mean, it just doesn't because it doesn't make any uh, rational sense. Um, but one becomes two becomes five becomes 10 and then it's and the same story difference? and and the over and the symptoms are overlapping and then i was like i start taking out implants taking out capsules and people are getting better you know initially i thought well maybe it was just sort of placebo and maybe there is some degree of placebo to there it. could be um and but like the only way that we're going to know that is to study it and um, so that's what that's what we're starting to do well, and it's nice to have doctors like you, because like, for instance, my pancreatic specialist, when he called me, he emailed me, he's like, let's talk tonight. Your work is excellent. Your lab work is excellent. And I was like- And you're uh, off your medications. I haven't taken anything. I haven't taken the, the NAC. The, the only thing I was taking was NAC and um, a cholesterol medication. And I haven't taken anything. And so he called me last night at six o'clock and he's like, what are you taking? Have you been taking? And I'm like, I'm not taking anything. I had 
the um, implants removed eight weeks ago. I said, three years, I haven't had a normal lab. And I said, I want to connect you with Dr. Brenner. I'm going to email both of I, you. I spoke to him yeah. before your surgery. And I said, but this is my point. I, I said, uh, because since then, this is why I think my my numbers are normal. And he was like, and I said, so if you have any of women that are coming in and they're getting acute pancreatic, uh, pancreatic attacks and you don't know why, just ask them if they have implants. Just And he was like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, I'm gonna connect you with Dr. Brenner and maybe you guys can, you know, maybe there's something there. But I find that it's nice to have a doctor like you that is actually listening to these women um, like me, because I didn't believe in it until I saw my girlfriend was really, really sick. She couldn't even, you know, keep one um, sentence. It would go, she would go from sentence, what was I talking about? And she would do right. all this. She had her implants removed. Two weeks later, I said, hey girl, did you get a little, like a little nip tuck or a little something <laughs> in the face? She's like, no, I go, your skin looks amazing. She looked different. Yeah. I like her eyes. And, and so it's nice to have, doctors like you that you. don't go okay well there's no medical diagnose for that so it doesn't exist I, I have a patient coming up for monday who and god bless her husband because most of the time the husbands are checked out but this guy it, it is so on board he has been so proactive she's been to i think more specialists and multiple spe multiple doctors in the same specialty yeah, she probably feels that, like she's gone any, crazy. Than, than any patient I've ever seen. And all of her all of her lab work is normal. But she there's just no there's really just no explanation. So this it's like almost like people are at, at their wits end. And you know hopefully And they're becoming hopefully, proactive about it. Hopefully this will work. Hopefully it'll work. I mean I, I, think I, it I can't will. I can't guarantee it for anybody. I didn't guarantee it for you. I right? wasn't even sure. Right. Like I, this was this, and I feel like this is what most BII women go through. Like uh, you go, you go through a litany of like blood work, and then it always comes like you have an autoimmune disease, but they can't tell you which autoimmune disease. And then oh, you have beginnings of rheumatoid arthritis, or there's always like a diet. I was I they put a boot on my leg because I had burning in my feet, and they put a boot on my leg which didn't do anything. The day after surgery. I, I've had no burning in my feet at all. It, it's crazy. And, and it, it it's just mind boggling that I kind of did it as a last resort. Right. For me, it was like, okay, I was actually writing a letter to my son because I thought I was gonna die and I, or I had cancer and they didn't find it. And I felt like I was dying. I told my husband, if I no, didn't know you love me so much, I would think you're poisoning me. <laughs> you know, that's how bad I felt to now you know, three years feeling horrible. This was my last resort. I, I was like, this is the only thing I have left that I could do. I told my husband, All right, like, let's, I, I, and he's like, let's do it. Let's do it. And I'm so grateful, one, to have found you. Two, you have a holistic breast team also on staff, which yeah, they're good. They're amazing, you know, and it's yeah. kind of nice to have that yeah that no, amanda, no other amanda no other doctor has, really, has that she's pulled it together for us yeah <coughs> excuse me the um it's nice i mean listen i i went to medical school i did a general surgery residency i did a plastic surgery residency i spent more time in hospitals than i care to remember and um 
and more time training than I care to remember, nine years. It's crazy. I'm a Western-trained surgeon. I am. I can't change that. I'm not going back to go do uh, holistic me- medicine well, no. you know, course or whatever whatever training they that you know. I mean, there's some really great holistic practitioners. They do their thing, and I do my thing. And um, I, I just you know, I don't I don't want them coming into the operating room telling me how to operate, and I'm not going to tell them how, how to, to do their thing. I, I mean, I've always said even before breast implant illness was a thing i've always said like if alternative you know alternative therapies are not for everyone but if they work for you great uh a lot of people think that uh acupuncture is hocus pocus but i I think if it works for you i mean there there is there is a physiologic basis to it i mean if it works for you great it doesn't work for everybody i'm in the middle of the road i i'm eastern western some stuff is too hokey pokey for me and some stuff is you know works so i i I feel like I like to dabble in well, both. Well, again, there's uh, I, I, there's extremes don't really work for most people. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I could say, uh, you know, you have breast implant illness, and you go to somebody, and they're like burning sage, hoping that you're going to get better. <laughs> well, like you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Maybe it'll help you Unless afterwards. Unless you believe but... <laughs> placebo. <laughs> well, um, Doctor Burner, can you? tell people where they can find you how they can find you your website your social media handles absolutely so i mean the best thing to do is to call me uh i have people i call him because let me tell you he is amazing in the office danny all the office staff we have an awesome staff you have an awesome staff an awesome support all the way through i mean front office danny Jihan, our OR, our OR team is amazing um, because it's not just it's not just about like coming in for a consult. I mean, it, it's a, it's a process. People don't understand that it is a months long process to do. Even just one surgery is a months long process. I, I when I sign up a patient, I'm not I'm not just signing up signing them up for surgery. I'm signing them up for the preparation for surgery right the surgery the recovery well you're anesthesiologist the, she's awesome okay first time that i've never been sick after a surgery she's like amazing. not even i'm usually like so nauseous i felt don't, don't tell Lori i said this but she's amazing she's amazing yeah. well your whole I'm not gonna i mean watch i don't want to sound like i'm blowing smoke but i'm i swear that there's they're just amazing their staff and your bedside manner you know i mean he dealt with me and survived. <laughs> I, I, I did. I survived. <laughs> That's so, saying a lot. So yeah, the, I mean, the best thing I always prefer just calling the office because I'm not usually around answering my Instagram. The website is the website is kevinbrennermd.com. The office number is three ten seven 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 five four hundred. I'll put it down on the screen also. Uh, on and then YouTube. I also have right, my Instagram. I have a lot of stuff up on my website. I have a ton. My website is deep. You just have to look for look through it. Um, but I also more in real time. I'm updating my Instagram, which is Kevin Brenner MD. Um, and so, you know, I have videos and testimonials and before and afters and, you know, updates from patients like you and patients like Amanda and and everybody else and you know it's not it's not all breast implant illness all the time I, I do a lot of different stuff 
but um, but I do I do take care of a lot of breast implant illness patients. Well, yeah, you're. Yeah, I mean, your your work is incredible, and just you see the before and afters, like you know, um, nose jobs, which rhinoplasty, you know, all of it. I mean, Dr. Brenner, I really appreciate you coming in and talking to me and taking time out of your busy schedule. But before you go, I have to torture you a little bit more, torture and we're gonna me. play a game. It's called Never Monopoly. Have I Ever. So I have these little things here. Okay. And I have, if you have, and never, if you never, and I'm going to play with you. Oh, okay. So let me get my little game. I may I play this with all my guests, so um don't feel so special. Wait, so, 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 <laughs> let me, let you, so you're just ask. You're gonna be asking questions, and it's either never or I have. Or I have. I, yes. So I don't and get I to, to, to. I don't get to come up with the topics. No, I try Darn. to keep it <laughs> semi, semi um, vanilla, but there is some that's a little has a little sprinkles on it. All right, nothing okay. too spicy. Nothing too spicy. I try to keep it. You know, they don't want to scare you because you need to come back. <laughs> okay, Dr. Brenner, never have I ever gotten heated during a family game night. Oh, for sure. Oh, me too. For sure. I hate losing. That's not, I mean, that's. Oh. Yeah. Are you, I'm super competitive. Are you? Me yeah, too. I grew up with six boys, so I I'm up, taking my I, space. I grew up with one brother, but I'm still super competitive. Oh, you are? Okay. All right. Never have I ever skinny dipped. Uh, I, I have in my pool. Okay, well that that counts. That, yeah, that counts. Okay. Okay. Never have I ever snooped through a friend's bathroom medicine cabinet. Oh, I for sure have done. That. I have. Yeah. Oh my god. These Never are these are really easy. So I know. Far. Yeah. So who? What friend? What friend? Oh, Can I said. <laughs> You're like I'm not gonna. Go, I'm not gonna. I'll, they'll never invite me back. Okay. Never have I ever gone commando. Uh no, never, <sighs> never. Uh -huh. I like my underwear. Mm. Sorry. Never have I ever ghosted. Oh yeah. yeah of course. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think most women. I hate panty lines. Okay, <laughs> I don't mind. Never have I ever ghosted someone. Like in a relationship, just in general, just, like uh, on social media. On, I, pro I probably I'm have ghosting done that. somebody right yeah, now. I, yeah. I, <laughs> okay, last one. Yes. It's not too torturous. You see. No, it's not so bad. Never have I ever joined the Mile High Club. I never have. <gasps> wow. Never have. But, you know, never, you it's, never, it's never too late. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Brenner. Thank you. It was amazing having you. Thank you for it's being awesome. a good sport and playing with me. Sure. And um, again, Dr. Kevin Brenner in Beverly Hills. Call um, us. Yes, call him. And again, thank you. I'm so, so happy with my results. And I awesome. feel so well, good. I can't good really thank you enough. That I, I love hearing more than anything. Thanks for listening to Left Unsupervised. Don't forget to stalk us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Left Unsupervised Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.